from his own experience, the Buddha recognized one could, uh, a human being is capable of abiding in a peaceful, uh, agreeable state, or uh, crudely one's language gets around this experience, uh, the release, the ending of suffering, realization in Nibbana, deathless, unconditioned, and so on. Mm -hmm. This is possible. Mm -hmm. And not just for him, but he felt it was something that other people could also uh, uh, experience. Mm -hmm. So so it's a really pretty encouraging idea that fundamentally we could be pretty happy (laughs) the basis even in this uh, uh, very mottled world existence it's what's it mottled with light and shade pain and pleasure Mm. agreements and disagreements conflicts uh, differentiations dualisms, comparisons, clashing, supremacy, inferiority, birth, death, and within all that. So, so though this is, you know, the, the encouragement of the Buddha, we do recognize it's going to take a bit of uh, depth of practice to to come through all this human experience mm, or seemingly inevitable human experience. The Buddha himself passed away, eighty years old apparently, of colic and dysentery, dying at the root of a tree. It's not a pretty messy, uncomfortable way to li- to pass away, emaciated. Uh, if you've ever had any of these um, problems um, and living outside you know no kind of nice clean hospital or anything and still even in that condition asking people for questions <laughs> you know it's on his last dying breath still able to rally the resources of mind and the compassion to seek for the welfare of others and then passing away the citta, entering into samadhi uh, and going through different levels of samadhi and then releasing. So, pretty phenomenal presentation of both of a you know, decrepit body, sick, aging, painful, and a magnificent citta rising through that and releasing through that. As we know, this uh, we're extremely fortunate to have uh, not just an imaging exemplar, but also a teacher who spent many, many years laying down exercises, instructions, visions, perspectives that we could make use of. And one of these. Uh, 
fundamental uh, themes is is called upadana, clinging. Very uh, fundamental theme, clinging, upadana, bonding to or uh, landing upon and feeding upon. So uh, it's it's like a phenomenon, a psychological phenomenon. or influence that seems deeply rooted. And why is it deeply rooted? Because the citta seeks security, permanence, stability, to get some orientation. Like in this sensory world, where am I? What am I supposed to be? What am I supposed to do? Is all this dualistic stuff coming? You know, right and wrong, up and down, uh, pain, pleasure. Where do I find the last thing? peace that's going to be able to handle all this stuff. This, you know, I, I can't be two pieces, so I've got to be the one piece that can handle all these dualistic experiences. What's the right, th- you know, what do I bond to to get that that uh, sense of firmness and stability that I need in order to feel free from this tension and anguish and confusion. So it bonds. But it bonds much more like a primary reaction than a, a careful, um, mediated, negotiated, you know, <laughs> entering into something. <laughs> the enter into the deathless is sec- called the secure. To enter into the deathless is considered the secure, the f- you know, the peaceful, the island, the refuge. So definitely, this very word security is placed there as one of the, you know, epithets for nibbana, uh, ending of suffering, and then this sense of the secure, uh, the entering the deathless, or or releasing into the property of deathlessness, or the Nibbana element. It's phrased like this. And nature of language, you know, we we always assume that these things must be somehow material or some entity or another, because that's the way the language goes. Yeah. We just place that as met- metaphor, entering into the deathless. But the sense is that uh, you know, one or descending into the deathless or. Uh, is that the sense of there, there, there can be this sense of, uh, of uh, a security that, that the citta can find. So it's, it's torment and it's desperation and it's restlessness ceases. Because of this, until uh, that is sensed, realized, then the citta will always because it's such fundamental need, will always cling to something to give a sense of orientation and security. Mm. And it's through realizing the limitations of that process, and through so by realizing not just the limitations of that, but there's an alternative yeah, that, that the jitta can go to, that this liberation, this release from clinging is possible. In other words, as the Buddha 
you said if you you know there's no point teaching suffering unless you teach there's a way out of it. <laughs> there's no point teaching clinging until till you also can say there's a way out of it. Because if you don't have any alternatives, what are you going to do? Cling and then just feel miserable about it, or doomed, or deny it. But there is an alternative, and it's through the proper uh, um, fruition, fulfillment of the citta in itself, heart in itself, awareness in itself, where it doesn't need that anymore more secure without it. This is pretty reflex rather than decision. Just like you don't decide to not fall over, you just, you know, you kind of, your body holds it up, holds yourself, holds you up. This is nature. And similarly, you know, if you're panicking, then you, your body does grip. You can't tell it not to. But if you give it some reassurance and steadiness and comfort, then it will release the grip. So we always have to really look at this concept not as some moral slur, like you shouldn't cling, <laughs> or some, you know, uh, some indictment stop clinging right now because <laughs> it, 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 it's not anybody's fault it's not a personal flaw it's a fundamental reflex it has to be met with sympathy care attention and providing alternatives so that, that release is possible and the Buddha did acknowledge that other teachers did teach the ending of uh, clinging but he said they see they see the sense of how clinging goes on in terms of uh, sense pleasure you know the obvious sense pleasures taste touch sight and so forth um, flavors but also even one might say even the intellectual pleasure there's a certain you know high rush of energy when we experience pleasure you know? so the, the chitta feels oh feels strong and fruit, fruitful and rich and unbounded in that experience temporarily you know. and you get the rush of it sense pleasure you experience that that rushing and how free and untrammeled that in that moment that experience can be mm. and then of course what occurs is that uh, clinging this this experience is very much one of about to get it so the clinging actually it never really accomplishes it's about to get it and as soon as you've got it the experience of that run of energy falters and declines so only well you can't because it's the f- rush is craving tanha and you can't crave what you've got so once you have it, you can't crave it. Uh, and once you don't crave it, you don't get that rush of energy you're about to get something because you've got it. And this clinging then, in a way, although it's the natural result of craving, the rush to get hold of, in fact, it, it, it nullifies craving because as soon as you've got hold of it, then 
Well, so what? So, but, so then the craving starts with something else. Mm. These craving and clinging, though they work together, they also contradict each other. You know, craving says, wow, when you get this, you'll feel great. Clinging says, now I've got it, so what? I just got this and I'd like a new one or more of the same or different flavor. So just comp- comprehending this, one begins to see, analyze, understand the process of uh, what supports craving and what supports clinging is craving. And the result of clinging is a certain sense of uh, um, I am this, I have this, I've got this, and then I need something else. I need to shift, change. Because we can fluctuate between the different senses, we might find once we've eaten something, that's finished that, but then it'd be nice to have a drink, and then after that maybe read something, and then go and have a chat with somebody, and then go for a walk and look at something. So you just kind of keep running through the sense-based options. So uh, th- th- as one fades out, the next one pops in to take up the same theme. Mm. So this is just to, to realize, to see through this, you begin to not so much judge it, but understand the process. This craving depends upon basing, basing it on feeling, on the sense, sense, feeling that rises sense contact. Therefore craving springs up, or dependent upon that craving springs up, clinging comes in, clinging comes in, a sense of I am this, I've got this, a, fi- a certain, you know, finality occurs, which is unsatisfactory. Therefore, so it goes on. And so you can understand this, and it's good to really look at how that happening so you get not just sort of you know personal profiles of whether you're addicted to bananas or or something like the other but just to understand the the, me- the mechanics of it of the process of it occurring and so the jitta it sees this and sees the the uh, limitations of that but in that sense of stepping back to review the whole process, there's a sense of truthfulness and we begin to get a quality, feel the sense of awareness of that mm. and abiding in that and responding to our hungers and disappointments with a, from that perspective a kindly, cooling, soothing quality that chitta begins to provide its own resources of heart to, um, to re- add a response to this conflict of the sense realm. So we shift into much more into the immaterial or the fine material. Mm. So this is often the mode of in various ways that that's followed by different spiritual dispensations. But many of them find themselves kind of like blaming the sense world. 
which isn't really the uh, you know it's, it's not that's not the vic- that's not the perpetrator the perpetrator is craving the sense world is just there it doesn't say crave me <laughs> bananas don't dress up to make themselves more attractive you know human beings have to doll them up to make them look better they bananas are quite happy if you leave them alone they don't mind you not being attractive but you know we present them in nice you know displays so they look great so themselves they they're just what they are and their sights and flavors are just what they are but this projecting of craving injects a certain glow or luster to, to qualities that they don't innately possess and so you do this whole sense contact thing with anything you know visual objects uh, human bodies you know which if you look at the outside the skin or the form can look quite well you know it's human beings are very good at, at uh, creating artifices to make this physical form seemingly an object of, of desire and it's really quite form- amazing because you, you just realize you you know you pull back some skin and like it, it's not good news under there <laughs> you wonder how do we make this thing attractive because it, it's really you know I mean, you would more be inclined to think it's unattractive if you actually contemplate the majority of it it's more primarily you know something that doesn't scintillate uh, craving you know sinews and you know mucus and sweat and stuff but we, you know, people are very skin covers it all. It's nice and smooth and shapely, attractive shapes or forms, and it suggests a lot. Suggests you know something really nice inside one of these if you get hold of them. <laughs> and it, it, you know, it works and it does what it's supposed to do, which is get get new new humans born. But there's an immense amount of heartbreak and and abuse goes on <laughs> just because of this this feature, you know, rape and violation and uh, all the kind of horrors of that, and of course the heartbreak either in the decline of the physical appearance or the loss of the loved one, you know, or, you know losing a limb or something or you you know, disfigured in some way by an accident, which is, bodies are pretty fragile things. So in seeing the limitations and these, of these, then one does much more inclined towards step back, step back. You can feel the flu- the flutter of, of craving and you step back from following it and that craving pass through and keep your awareness open and around that. And this is probably the big learning thing that we can make use of the sense sense fields because it's pretty obvious really it's not subtle and so just at this level if one cultivates you don't have to be that refined degree of attention just steady and understand these these energies and why the somatic experience is, is so helpful because you, you can't really deny 
the rush or the surge uh, of, that occurs when uh, in sense sense desire. Uh, and and you, there's another very important um, sign, or that you begin to you can begin to acknowledge how this experience of clinging shrinks shrinks you. You were pretty open and expanded, and then the banana came along, and your world suddenly shrunk to to four inches wide, <laughs> and your visions narrowed down to that. You know, <laughs> and you can feel this contraction occurs in the somatic domain. You get slightly tensing to get to hold, and it's trembling. And then the, the constriction, the limitation of what prior to that might have been pretty open and, you know, steady and sort of mildly fluctuating, rippling, but pretty expanded. And then an object of desire plops into into one's consciousness and there's a sort of sudden tremble and a shift and a, and a riveting of attention. And then one feels much more restricted narrowed, gripped, gripped by that. Yeah. Uh, how does this feel? Now, you know, we, if there's enough tanha in the system, the, the experience of, of the juice of tanha can feel so rich and warming that the constrictedness of, of the clinging doesn't really matter. You're in a kind of hypnotized state. But, of course, once you the tanha stops once you've got what you got. You're in this constricted state, and the the, the joy of potential gratification has ceased. Then you're left with this rather constricted state of being. So it results in this what's called becoming. One has become, you know, a fixed finite object. Mm, or fixed finite condition dependent upon this particular <laughs> phenomenon, sense object that's no longer even giving that much delight. So we get a lot of possessions in our lives of items that at one time might have been, you know, objects that brought joy. So you, you know, oh, wow, that's really wonderful. I'll just put it right there. That's great. And then it's stuck there. And then Oh, this is great, look at that, really wonderful, I just put that there. And when you come to move house, how did all this clutter get here? <laughs> Stop. Of course, it's not quite as simple as that, because some things, are, you know, so-and-so gave me this, this is very, you know, resonant with particular impressions. But the, the fixity of it all, how one gets so anchored and eventually confined by stuff that no longer gives rise to brightness and joy. And in that confined state, as the jitter takes on this confined state, as the jitter becomes normalized to the confined state, then, oh well, it normalizes the confined state, this then is security because it, it normalizes to a confined state, so it seems secure. You know, so we have our houses or our 
properties or whatever, and then, right, I'm fairly secure, because on some levels one is in a confined state. But then, of course, one is then has to keep the whole thing clean, tidy, working, and it's always breaking down. And uh, burglar alarms and fire alarms and tornado alarms and hurricane alarms and, um, you know, anti-this and anti-that and flame retardant and insect repellent and annihilate everything else in the universe that gets anywhere near me. <laughs> this, is kind of, this is really the best way to get through this life. <laughs> and yeah, but, yeah, but I need, and then, yeah, but I need it, yeah, but, no, you, no, you just got normalized around that. So, you know, what happens, and you just make, take the opportunity, just put that aside and step out. And you know, this is quite an interest, interesting practice, just to get things and put them in boxes and just shove them out somewhere and find. Yeah, you can be without that. You can be. You can be without that. And that. And that. Yeah. And then, although, and you feel kind of more spacious. There's less to have to do, look after. Mm. And the jitter then normalizes to a more spacious state. Yeah. And then we cling, cling to that. So then I don't want to be in some boxy little house. <laughs> and then again, you start to realize, wait a minute, there's something more subtle going on. It's not just uh, you know, the craving for the hit of pleasure, which is sense pleasure, there's a deeper craving, which is the craving to be a, a sort of a certain stable state. Mm. Called becoming. Mm. This is another form of clinging, one clings to becoming. Mm. So in that previous example, one can sense of, oh, I really like it when I'm just out living under a tree, it's spacious, I'm a retreat center, don't have all this stuff going on, I feel more spacious. Then one jitter normalizes to that state and then finds it very, finds itself objecting to being in more confined circumstances. And another level, we might say, you know, when we enter into samadhi, then you jitter may normalize to being pretty spacious and being able to move really slowly and soft, ding, bell rings, ding, soft reading. And then if you feel like it, next few minutes, maybe you'd like to orient towards standing up, nice and soft, but no pressure, you know, as you like, oh yes, this, this is right. And then you go outside, Come on, move along, hurry up, bang, ding, 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 time, get on the train, get going, <laughs> totally jangled, <laughs> you, got, you got normalized to a nice, kind of open, spacious, calm, soothed state, and then you became that, and then when the opposite set of factors come in, one is extremely agitated and disturbed, <laughs> yeah. so this is the problem of becoming, or existence, which involves a certain identity, starts to fall around what one has normalized in. So, characteristically, 
what we do is we create systems and customs to preserve our ideally our optimal state these, remember there's no kind of moral blame around this it's no it's not an evil sin it's just this is what happens i do this i've done this i work through it because life doesn't allow me to <laughs> have my optimal state <laughs> whatever that is i've given up on it <laughs> you know the idea there could be but there's a very powerful seductive myth because certainly some states one does in you know one one's jitter feels more enjoyment in than other conditions so that's something to really start reviewing because basically it always comes down to the buddha's path is you're going to suffer or not suffer (laughs) you know and you have a choice now you don't really have a choice over change things are going to change you don't have any choice over that in any on on any level of condition phenomena with its you know samadhi other people sense contact impingement it's it's going to shift and change yeah. so you know but what is possible you can't stop that happening but you could stop suffering and this is suffering is caused by favoring and opposing and these are again you know pretty fundamental characteristics of our of our jitta and why should it not be that way yeah. and is it is it stupid or what or is it just that it's something to be very attentive to and careful around mm. as these set up these two energies favoring opposing set up particular currents that if follow sweep one into becoming becoming is an apparent fixity of jitta that doesn't quite last we became pretty spacious and open for quite a while and then it changed into something else one can't find a territory to map out you can move on to like nomads and then the skill that begins to be induced more or less because of the stress and suffering of holding on is the skill of letting go yeah. and customarily what occurs with people as they attempt the alternative is they generate uh, systems and structures systems and customs mm. so the energies of um, favoring and opposing will tend to follow particular set themes and one is how do I get into and get more of and really stabilize into this for this experience where I feel pretty good this is called the Bawa Tanha the other one is how do I get out of this experience which I definitely do not want to be associated with whatsoever this is called Vibhava Tanha 
the craving for non-being or non-existence or non-manifestation in a in a area of discomfort on any level physical psychological emotional social responsibilities and so forth this these and these these two views becoming and non-becoming as they're rather cryptically referred to bhava becoming vibhava non-becoming become sacralized into you know the uh the ultimate becoming would be to become one with god for example you know the blissful loving being one could merge into or look after me when i've passed away or look after when i'm you become one with the if you don't like god what about the cosmic oneness or the Tao or something like that that would be really you know i don't gone off old guys with beards what about a nice comfy Tao to live in neutral no gender to it that suits me i'll have that yes um or the or the just the blissful oneness if we don't want to go too too mystical on that blissful oneness um so that, that that inclination, because one hasn't quite got it yet, but still there's a possibility that that could happen, the blissful oneness. Mm. And again, and the Buddha said, well, you know, you're imagining something you haven't directly experienced. You're conceiving of something you haven't directly experienced. Whether it's there or not, you're, at the moment you're conceiving it, you're not directly experiencing it. So, swatch, switch from conceiving into directly experiencing and what you directly experience. Right, you know, change, changeability, and mm, you realize the urge towards the one is really craving, again, on a sublime level. Yeah. And so now if you relinquish the craving, if that could fade out this is you come into the inconceivable <laughs> which is you know, inconceivable unconditioned nibbana and so on yeah, so these are the vibhava is to to so even some of the language we use like deathless is a sense of something seemingly continual that I could abide in. This very much, in, you know, encourages the, the becoming view. Nibbana, on the other hand, is the dying away or the cessation. This very tends to encourage the vibhava view. And generally, even in Buddhist circles, you see there's a certain amount of, uh, of argument between people who favor things that sound a bit like becoming, like there is the unconditioned, the realization Nibbana, yeah. and then that kind of gets one's becoming antennae twitching, and then the, or there's the elimination, cessation of all this mass of suffering, that gets one's Vibhava tentacles kind of throbbing. <laughs> and so the Buddha said, well, all you've got to know is that that pulsing and throbbing <laughs> that occurs is Tanha, if you could just relax that, you wouldn't need to have these um, concepts being so uh, uh, provocative. <laughs> uh, the path, and then what you want to call it, if you want to call it anything, he said, I, he didn't call it. He said, just there is this, there is this, where the, the suffering ends and the craving ends and the clinging ends. But classically, 
or tend to find ourselves kind of crystallizing around what's called sila vata, sila bhatta. Sila, as we know, morality, vata, duty. Mm. Something that's repeated. Mm. In the broader sense, sila means things, means rights and wrongs. Um, and uh, vata means that which you do customarily. So systems, customs, uh, and these rights and wrong things, of course, you know, go beyond what we would normally call ethics into protocols, um, down to refined social etiquette, um, and right and wrong carry huge tonalities of of fear and, and righteousness if you follow them to their ultimate extent being right is pretty painful if you really follow it through because if you're right you've got this sense of quite contracted tight holding the line against the forces of evil you know the pure this is it I'm not going to come to this other you know slovenly rude chaotic state I'm going to be right and we tend to look down around in this lofty tower of righteousness that's a pretty uncomfortable state to be in being right uh, if you find yourself getting right you contemplate it you feel your sense of hardening and contracting to righteousness being wrong is not much fun either <laughs> as you probably know <laughs> collapsing under the weight of sin guilt failure incompetence dim-witted stupid, lazy, you know, we've done that one too. So being wrong's not great, uh, and then being right's not great either. So you think maybe those words should be just, you know, gently erased <laughs> over suitable, not quite suitable, appropriate, uh, fits better than this at this particular time, <laughs> or this is our community agreement at this particular time, and we might change in a week or two, so it's just this sense of negotiating rather than getting fixated on on the right time, you know, that right, you know, right, and then exactly right and really, really ab- absolutely precisely right, sorted out to make it all right for everyone. So it's nice and square and clean and tidy and straight lines everywhere. You cannot move without a straight line. The signs on the walls telling you exactly which direction you should clean a toilet bowl in to get it just the right way. <laughs> And anything else, you know, the forces of blame will descend upon you, either from others or from yourself. <laughs> Thinking, whoa, this is, you know, could we just ease up a little bit? <laughs> like tolerance and, well, you know, it doesn't quite get, nothing really gets exactly right. We'll just, you know, have good intention and try to keep refining one's awareness to be more sensitive. So instead of getting more rigid and narrow, the proper, you know, contemplation on that is to just get more sensitive in oneself, more attuned to what feels about suitable. And generally the theme is the wider the span, the better it gets. The more it can come out of being just suitable for me, 
into what's suitable for us two, or us five, or us twenty, or us seven billion. The wider the span, the better it gets. And the less self there is in it, less of this constricted entity holding it all together. And this is... So just contemplating, you know, rights and wrongs and even the repeated, the familiarity that customs bring. Do it this way every day, every day at 8 o'clock, every day at 10 o'clock, every Tuesday. Bam, bam, bam. I know where I am because it's Tuesday, it's 8 o'clock Tuesday, I know where I am. Dead. (laughs) You know? Uh, There's a sort of familiar numbing effect that can occur with that. Which acts as a ground. Admittedly, these systems and customs definitely give one a ground. But it's a very much a conditioned ground that tends towards not being as solid and comfortable as one would imagine it to be. And it begins to exclude things that don't fit into the system or the customs. Other people, other creatures, and even aspects of myself. Mm. Yeah. Which like sometimes to be a bit woolly and shaggy and bouncy and irreverent and all that. And How do I cope with that? Do I start just doing censorship on that? Or denial? Or just a little bit more tolerant and open? Uh, and maybe that quality of openness would allow some of these energies just to find a place where they're received and accepted and allowed to be here. And maybe they would then settle of their own accord rather than being told to be right and behave. And so particularly we begin begin to witness this, all these um, results or these practices in, in the somatic field. Well, we might very well have a good idea of our posture. You know, it should be like this. And you start to feel your body, your body is saying, oh, come on, please don't keep pushing me around. <laughs> uh, I'll, you know, I'll get as upright as I can <laughs> and we'll work on it. Oh, and then, oh, and then maybe after months or years, you're finding it's kind of, it's found itself. It's grown into something. Mm. It's developed. Things have released. Quality of release. And you've found a much more accurate way to to see it. Mm. Or stand or walk. Through really entering into the somatic domain and realizing as soon as you go in there with an I am going to sort it out then you've already already what's been created is a is a division and a dominance and a supremacy model has been injected into the somatic field and it doesn't respond well to that it begins to divide and then divide chaotic unsettled rebellious contracted disconnected unhappy and then the, then the moods come up, the emotions come up. Uh, they start finding objects to feel unhappy about. Not necessarily in the body, but 
in her or in him or a thing that happened yesterday or the way this place is set up because of when my somatic field is not happy my emotions are not happy then I start noticing things around me to get that to that will actually confirm that unhappiness Chitta seeks to normalize to find an orientation so so be it so it orients around being unhappy and justifies and creates the statistics to prove it. We've, we're pretty good at that. Just as we're good at making, you know, bodies look like they're really fantastic things made out of diaphanous tissue and marshmallow or whatever your flavor is. Um, we're pretty good at uh, the, the jitta will assemble for us all the reasons to be unhappy in the world around us. All of it to be left out or the fe- to feel offended, to feel badly treated, because it's, it, it so seeks to orient, to find normality, it will, order, it will orient around pain, if need be, rather than have no orientation. This is what we're up against in terms of becoming. Hmm? Because it seeks orientation. Now, if there's a nice, easy, somatic field to orient around, it's a, well, this takes less, I'll, I'll sit in this. This takes less effort than establishing in my mind all these things that uh, I can find fault with and should be this way, shouldn't be that way. Or in myself that I can fault with, shouldn't be this way, shouldn't be that way. Uh, or in the past, should never have done that. I was treated badly. Or in the future, I will be treated badly. I will be left out. I will be ignored. My life is miserable and so forth. So, rather than having one's energy just crystallizing these worlds so that based upon becoming and clinging there is the continuation of a consciousness that's injected with those very qualities of suffering and stress this is what we're up against we can perpetuate we can be reborn as our worry phenomenon with no effort at all we can be reborn with our self aversion program perfectly intact no problem jitter's got it down <laughs> we can be born we can be reborn with our i'm the one who never fits nobody likes me we can keep that one going easy easy peasy no problem Jitta would do that for us because once it's found an orientation it's able to perpetuate that this what one has become becomes stabilized normalized becomes the basis for further existence jati and this clearly this is often understood to mean after this body has passed away but as we all recognize you don't have to wait that long <laughs> You can be reborn moment after moment. In the f- that's what the future is called. That's our idea of the future, is really the energy of becoming, crystallizing a virtual reality with all the, all the jitters, features established in it, in that reality which isn't even here. And in that reality which isn't here, we call the future, there's my worry, there's my doubt, there's my feeling of inadequacy, there's my craving, 
there's my if only, they're all ready to roll and they're already happening because they've not been resolved here now. And so rather than creating systems and structures that somehow weave us through that perilous domain that we've already created, what about witnessing this reflexive, compelling, clinging which structures our lives in terms of future and past and Monday and next week and was and should be. And say, where is that? What is that? And we might begin to recognize, oh, this is anxious. I've got every reason to be anxious. Of course. Understandable. But come into your body, you feel the tension, the contractedness, lots of energy around the face, the head, locking. You don't need this. This is not going to help you in the future, is it? This is not going to help you in the future. It doesn't help you in the present. It's not going to help you in the future. Just leave all those topics to one side and just work on this, on unifying your own inner body and getting the chitter to pick up that sign. And then you begin to see, you begin to realize, future? What? What, what future? I'll just deal with it the way I always do. I'll get, get by, I'll deal with it. I know morality, I know, uh, you know, I don't need that much, you know. I know how to hold myself, how to bear with difficult feeling. Uh, know, how to manage uncertainty and how to keep this domain, this, this intimate domain, free from suffering and stress. Oh, that's what I'll do, because that's all I can do. And this is massively empowering. And we'll see, because, you know, eventually that's all we can do, isn't it? we can really be certain of, you know, as you recognize once you go into the systematic domain, you know, airline flight, your airline gets cancelled, the flight gets cancelled, what happened to that? You know, you build your house and a tornado comes through, what happened to that? You invest a load of money, the currency goes belly up, slumps, or the insurance company goes bankrupt, what happened to that? <laughs> as people find out. You know, you've got a nice job and then suddenly, sorry, we're closing it down and shutting it down because there's cheaper labor in Bolivia. What happened to that? Gone, <laughs> you know? So all those systems and structures that we generated to create this security make one fundamentally insecure because you're putting all your energies into territory that is never really going to be that under your authority under your sway, whereas your own embodied mind can be and will be for your welfare in the present and in the future. And it realigns your perspectives. Now, of course, this doesn't mean 
that we don't use systems and structures, systems and customs. The proper uh, term for this hindrance is called silapata paramasa. Paramasa means a kind of fondling or like a, you know, an unhealthy consuming, getting fascinated by. So then we try to use systems and customs that will help to sustain our clarity and awareness in the here and now. And you realize the wider you're spread, the wider you can maintain that quality of clarity and awareness and groundedness in this strange sensory domain, then the more assured it's going to be. You can recognize as you come into that, there's all these things that get your antennae twitching, your pleasure pain buttons going, your agreeable, disagreeable, your right and wrong things going. They're going to start, you know, getting activated. There's that, there's that, there's that. And here is the release from that. Ah, something is being understood. not just intellectually, but felt directly known. Of course, the final piece of clinging, which is really sits underneath it all, is called the clinging to the notion of self. Such a primary orientation, and indeed a necessary orientation. Mm. In the progressive path, it's said one should care for oneself, one should rely upon oneself, one should cultivate accomplishment in terms of self. You become someone of reliable values, someone who people can count upon, a person of self-respect, a person of virtue and so forth. So that within that you can begin to review, wait a minute, these qualities such as virtue, honesty, they're qualities. They're not a person, they're qualities. It's a great gain for me that I've been blessed that these qualities have risen in this consciousness. It's a great gain for me that these qualities have arisen in this conscious experience. To benefit from that. So the chitta, instead of gripping them, feels contented, grateful, open uh, to that, blessed by that, discerning as it clearly is. These are factors uh, and they've arisen dependent upon causes and conditions such as uh, the Buddha, uh, this body, good karma, teacher, so forth, you know, um, practice, practice, practice. Therefore, let me continue in that. Let this chitta keep inclining towards things, these things, and release its sense of, I am this, I'm no longer that. Keep practicing with these qualities. And these qualities themselves replace the notion that one has to identify with anything. Why, why, why bother to do that? What's the point of that? 
What's the value of that? What's the point of identifying with that? Why not let just it happen? Mm-hmm. Practice, practice. Because uh, if there's identification with it, then there's a sense of, I was this, I am this, what will I be? Um, and this is suffering. How will I develop? This is suffering. Uh, what will my future destination be? This is suffering. Have I realized the 19th stage of this yet? Maybe not. Maybe I will. Have I become an arahant or a sotapanna or half a sotapanna or a sotapanna now and then? <laughs> <laughs> kind of falling, lapsing and never. Why, why do that? Why do that? Uh, you know, why do you have to need to have an identity around these things because the citta seeks orientation <laughs> that's why now could it not instead orient towards I am great there is gratitude there is contentment there is ease there is the wisdom to discern this is suffering this is where it ends this is what brings it around is this not adequate uh, and to leave leave the, the identity open Un- unnecessary, not filled in mm. on any level. So there's that constant open, open space through which these factors can play. Mm. And these factors, as it said, where they meet, where they merge in the deathless, and it's with a confluence of these indrias enlightenment factors where they meet and merge where there's no clinging they meet and merge they consummate in the deathless when the identity experience has been understood as a source of unnecessary suffering and there is an alternative to that we give up future we give up past we give up self we give up other these are not necessary. These are not. These are encumbrances. These are structures that only have very limited usefulness in terms of our own intimate practice. All we need to know is this is the arising of skillful, unskillful. This is the fruition of the skillful. This is the decline of the unskillful. This is the ending of suffering, and this is the cause for it to arise. That's your orientation. That's the thing you needed to find your ground in. Just that. This is this is where you should find your stability and your security and your confidence. I encourage you, please, go go ahead, go forth, go forth, go forth. Don't hang back. So any kind of localization, any kind of uh, experience of contraction, uh, and this must be understood.